All right. Good morning. Um, okay, we're going to start with a little informal survey. Um, so some of us are not super in touch with our emotions, and some of us are, okay? Uh, I, am, I am definitely, like, not the emotions guy, um, but my wife is not that way, which she's probably bummed at her, you know, I just shouldn't have said that. I'm not sensitive all the time. So um, I want us to see, uh, this is going to be helpful for our sermon. If you are kind of like me, like, yeah, you know, not the most sensitive all the time, maybe raise your hand. Is that any of you willing to be like, that's, I tend to be that way? There's like a good amount of us, okay? And then how many of you are willing to be like, I'm for sure in touch with my emotions? Yeah, any of you? Yeah, okay, so this is, this is good. This is actually really interesting. First service was like flipped. First service was a lot of like the, the mind and not a lot of emotions. So this is interesting, okay. Um, so this morning, uh, the sermon is called The Gift of Lament. And uh, just to start, there's, there's a book that um, I, was very helpful to me um, called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, Discovering the Grace of Lament. Um, and just listen to the, the description of, just even on the back, lament is how you live between the poles of a hard life and trusting God's goodness. And it's super practical and helpful. Um, definitely recommend it. We have this in the bookstore. And, um, you know, this morning is going to be a helpful balance in many ways, as the word of God is to last week as we discussed difficult things. And so, um, you know, this is it's heavy in a different way this morning, but in a, in a beautiful way, in a way that will probably uh, challenge some of us who are not built super sensitive um, and hopefully will be like just a balm for your soul if, if you're in a place of difficulty. So um, we're just going to read the, uh, Ruth chapter 1, verses 8 through 14, um, and then we will get into it together. So uh, Ruth chapter 1, verse 8. Uh, I'm reading out of the ESV. It says this. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way. For I am too old to have a husband. And if I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter for me for, for your sake, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Now, this is the word of God. Let's pray this morning. Jesus, we thank you for your word. Uh, where else would we go? You, Jesus, have the words of eternal life. You are the word, and you've, you've gifted us with your word that shows us who you are like and what life in this world is like, and um, Lord, how we can make it even day to day in this broken, uh, difficult place that we live, Lord. And Jesus, I ask that you would minister not just to our, our minds, but to our hearts this morning, that your word would penetrate and would um, encourage and strengthen and sustain. And um, for others of us, you would teach us what it is to lament and how to lament and how to lament with others 
and to see that this is something that you've given us in your word. Um, so please, Holy Spirit, help me be faithful to your word. May there be not a single uh, thought that is of me and not faithful to you in your word, Lord. Speak to your church this morning who you love, who you bought with your own blood. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you know, the first thing to, to notice um, about lament in the Bible is that it's actually a command to lament. Uh, for some of you, you're like, yeah, I don't need that command. It just comes naturally. But for some of us, uh, we need the commands. We need to be reminded, oh, oh, weeping is a thing. Um, Romans chapter 12, verse 15 says it so clearly, weep with those who weep. Uh, Solomon, the wisest man besides Jesus to ever live, said this in Ecclesiastes 3, for everything there is a season, a time for every matter under heaven, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Um, The past few weeks, just in preparation for this and in the sovereignty of God, I've sat with many people who have gone through lament and are lamenting. And uh, I was speaking with someone who lost an immediate family member. And she was telling me, you know, it was really difficult for a while to come to church because um, often people are just really uncomfortable with the grief and with the tears and with being broken. And, and they would say things like, why would we weep if we have God? And, and she kind of just had this sense of like, okay, my grief is weakness, and so it, it can't be shown here. I need to kind of cover it up. I need to hide it. Um, to, to which we would say, no grief. It, it's okay. It is okay to be weak and to mourn and to grieve. And in fact, that is the absolute appropriate response to, to the things that we experience in this life. Um, and so this morning, we're going to look at uh, first, Naomi's lament, and we're going to learn from her uh, in her lament. Then we're going to look a bit at lament in the Psalms, and then we're going to look at Jesus, who, who also lamented. And so the first thing that we should notice, we see it in verse 9 in our text, is that Naomi wept. Just as simple as that. She wept. It says, they lifted up their voices and wept. And um, again, just remember that Jesus wept. It says in John eleven thirty five, 35, Jesus who was a perfect person, wept on this earth. And we want to be like Jesus. We want to follow Jesus. And sometimes the absolute appropriate thing to do is simply to weep. Um, And we shouldn't view weeping as weakness, but as being like Jesus, as appropriate. Uh, the, the Bible uses the word lament for this, this, this process of grieving and weeping unto the Lord. It's, it's lament. And in fact, lament is not like an occasional theme of the Bible. In fact, uh, one third of the Psalms is lament. What the Psalms are, are like God's gift to us about how to pray and sing to him. It's this picture of like our devotional life in a sense. And we see in the very fact that a third of the Psalms are lament is, is if we were to be biblical, a third or so of our prayers and cries to God would be lament. That, that is the proportions we see in scripture. We have entire books of the Bible called, called, called Lamentations, where Jeremiah the prophet was lamenting over the fact that the people of God are in exile. 
And that, that is the Bible's showing, the Bible is showing us, this isn't something you do like the, the very form and essence that God gave us much of the Bible is lament. Now, um, lament for some of us is awkward. Uh, we don't like, we don't like tears. We don't like sad things. Um, and, and, you know, for some of us, it, it maybe came because the families we raised in weren't super comfortable with emotions. Um, my dad, who's here this morning, shared with me, um, he, so I'm half Dutch, and he's raised a very Dutch cultural family where the men didn't really show emotions. And uh, when my dad was 11 years old, his older brother, who was 17, was driving home and fell asleep and got in a car accident and died as his 17-year-old brother. And my dad remembers when my grandpa came home and got the family together, who it was now three kids and four foster kids, and he essentially told them, here's what happened. And that was kind of it. And he walked out of the room and he never saw his dad react in any emotional way. And, you know, they lived on this ranch. And so my grandpa kind of had this, like, you know, I got to keep it together. I got to sustain and provide for all of these kids in my family. And then, and then my dad tells of how, you know, they'd be sitting at the dinner table for months. And kind of out of nowhere, his mom would just begin to weep. And they, as a family, didn't really know what to do. So everyone just kind of looked down and she would weep and that just would happen. And, and what my dad says he learned is just that, that, that dads don't show emotions and moms do show emotions. And um, my dad tells the story about five years later, he was about 16 years old. He's coming home after high school, like practice or something. And um, and his parents often did like, you know, ministry in the house and they would have people over and he, he comes in and he, he could hear someone in the living room just like weeping, just mourning and weeping. And he was like, oh man, I wonder who's over. And his mom came to him and said, that's your dad. This is, this is the first time he's wept since Mike died. This is the first time he's cried. And my dad just remembers it being going on for about an hour and it was never talked about. And then... Um, that was the last time you ever saw him cry until about uh, 40 years later, um, my grandpa got uh, all the kids together on this trip to Hawaii. My grandpa was like in his 80s and he was sitting there and it was this beautiful moment and everyone's together. And then uh, my grandpa says, you know, I just, I really wish Mike could be here. And he, he doesn't make it through a sentence and he just breaks down and begins to weep. Uh, and that was the second time in his life that he wept over losing his son. And uh, I, I think what my grandpa did is what many of us do. You know, we, we put up these walls and we protect ourselves. We don't want to feel those emotions. And, and so, you know, we, we kind of set them aside. That's something very common in trauma. And it's even a, a protection in a sense in the moment, like this is too much. I can't think of it. I can't think about it right now. Um, but, but weeping is an essential part of our healing. And, and look what Psalms chapter 30 says about weeping and joy. It says, for his anger is for but a moment and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. And we read that and we're like, okay, I want the joy. I want that joy. But, but it comes after the weeping. That joy often comes as a, a, like a breakthrough after we've wept for a whole night. And notice that Naomi doesn't just weep once. In verse 14, it says all over again, they lifted up their voices and wept again. 
lament and grief, as many of us know, comes in waves. It's not just a one-time event. It's mysterious. We think we've grieved and mourned, and then it comes back. We also see this in the Psalms. Look at Psalm 13, verse 1 through 2. David's crying out, how long, O Lord? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? It's just this lengthy, like, when is it going to leave? And again, in Psalm 42, my tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Um, Weeping is not just this temporary thing. It's this mysterious thing, and it comes, and it goes, and then it comes again. And, and the, the second thing we should notice about Naomi that she's weeping and she's weeping again is, is that she, she's weeping, lamenting with others. That's so important. That what we see is the embodiment of Romans chapter 12, to weep with those who weep. We are not even designed to do grief alone. Uh, we need others to enter into our grief. And as Christians and as to be followers of Jesus, we are often to enter into others weeping. We are to be the one who weeps with someone else who is weeping. That's what Ruth and Orpah are doing. They are weeping with her. They've, they haven't lost as much as Naomi, but they're weeping with her. They're lifting up their voices and they're weeping together, which, which shows us that, you know, we need to learn, many of us especially, myself, need to learn how to lament with others, to be the listener, to be the one who's, maybe we haven't suffered in the same way, but we are to enter in and to weep with someone who is weeping. And remember Job's friends. Uh, they, they are the perfect example of like, right, what not to do, what, how not to lament with someone. They started well, they sat with him, and, you know, they got uncomfortable with it, and, um, and they got even uncomfortable with what Job was saying. And so they start, you know, trying to explain away what's going on. And, um, and they start saying things that God did not reveal to them. Like, Job, this is why you're suffering. Or maybe this is why you're suffering. And if, if you just did this, God would stop punishing you. And they, they, rather than weeping, they opened their mouth. And they try to explain these mysteries. We do not always know exactly why God is doing the exact uh, things in our life. And yet they were acting as if they could know and did know these things. And, and as Solomon tells us, look in Ecclesiastes 3, for everything there's a season, there's even a time to keep silence and a time to speak. There is sometimes when someone is weeping, all they need is for you to not explain anything, but to weep with them. And, and it, to be fair, it says, and a time to speak. There is a time to speak, and there's a time to not speak. There's a time to weep and be with them. Um, as I was sitting down with someone else who lost a family member, they put it to me like this. We listen differently when our hearts are cared for. And I think that's so profound. We listen differently when our hearts are cared for. You know, I think of my son. This is just intuitive when he's 18 months old, and he does stupid things that, you know, you're like, don't do that, son. And uh, an example of that is he likes to climb things that he shouldn't climb, and he often falls and gets really hurt. And so he's, you know, when he does this, and I've already told him, don't do that, son. And he's climbing up like this bar stool that's like, you know, his whole, all his weight is up on it. And like the thing tips over on him or the high chair. I intuitively know as a father, what my son needs right now is for me to scoop him up and just to hold him. And uh, he weeps. And it's so, it's, it's 
classic, I don't know, this is my son. He weeps his heart out for like 2.7 seconds. And then it's a switch. Just weeping, weeping, weeping. I'm good. And then he's like, and he gets, he's like, put me down. He says, nah, like, which means down. And he just wants to do it all over again. And so, you know, I know, okay, just wait for the switch. And then he switches. And then I look at him and I am, I'm hoping he's understanding like, son, don't climb this. Like, let's go climb this. Or, you know, I try to explain there's a moment to speak and shepherd and father him. Don't do these things. But I know that if he just felt that if I were just to start explaining to him why he shouldn't do that, that's going to make his heart angry and bitter. And he probably isn't going to listen to me in the same way as when I would care for his heart. And now he's willing. I've earned some trust with him to listen. This is a picture that we, we, there's a time to simply care for someone's heart and weep. And then there is a time to care for the mind. And I, and I want us to see this clearly from the Bible in the person of Jesus, right? If there's ever a person to learn from, the, the perfect uh, person, it's Jesus. So turn with me to John chapter 11. And I want us to notice kind of two things about the way Jesus laments with other people. John chapter 11 You may know this story. Um, one of Jesus' good friends, Lazarus, is sick and about to die. And Lazarus has two sisters, Martha and Mary. And um, I want us to just, I'm just going to jump around a little bit, but start at verse 5. Just notice how this story begins. Look at this little detail. John 11, verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Oh, it's beautiful. He loved them. And, you know, I would even say, be careful to come into a situation with someone that you don't have love for in your heart. Like, that, like that, that's kind of a prerequisite. Like, I need, to, I need to be able to love this person. So Jesus loves them. And uh, as we know, the story goes, Lazarus dies. Jesus doesn't go immediately to heal him because he knows he's going to raise him from the dead. And... Um, We skip ahead to verse 20. This is Jesus. He's finally coming to them. And verse 20 says this. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. And even pause. I think that's profound. We're different. We handle grief differently. We respond to Jesus differently. That's, that's part of what it is to care for people is to know people are, are different and need different things. And so verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. 
Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Now, now two things to notice here. Surprisingly enough, Jesus doesn't weep with Martha. And Martha comes to Jesus with all these questions. She comes to him with like theology questions. In verse 22 and 24, she's like asking him about things. And then verse 25, 26, he's explaining things to her. And and then verse 27, she's like, okay, that makes sense. I believe that. There is a place to speak to someone who has lost someone in their life. There is a place to speak truth. Uh, What I would say is we need to meet them where they're at. Martha's leading with these questions. She's wrestling in her mind with what is going on and how could you let this happen, Jesus? And and are you going to raise him from the dead? And how how do we think about that? And Jesus enters in and engages with her on theology. And now I know there are people in here who are like Mary who think that's insane, right? Like I just, I, why would you do that? I understand. I'm like Martha. Like that's truly my response to something gnarly is like my head spinning. And what do I think about this? And Jesus knows me and comes and gives me his truth. But then we should also note that Jesus is different with Mary. He, he sees Mary and Mary falls at his feet and she's weeping and he sees the weeping all around him and Jesus enters into that and he weeps with her. And it even says he's moved in his spirit. Another word for that is like indignant or angry. Like Jesus is like, this is wrong. Death is wrong. This isn't how God made it to be. This is broken. And he just weeps with Mary. Now, I know some of the Martha people are like, yeah, like, I don't know, I just can't do that. And what we say is we want to follow Jesus. And we need to be able to to support people like Martha and people like Mary and be sensitive to un- and understand. There's, it's, it's worth, uh, I'll just jump ahead. The, the next thing we notice of, of Naomi's lament is it's a process. It's not a formula, right? There's not a formula. Like, like even this book isn't like, here are the, here's a formula for lament. We are built differently and we have different circumstances and we grieve and lament differently. And Jesus knows that and meets us in that. And we are to do the same with others. And so if you will flip back to Ruth, I want us um, again to, to look at Naomi's lament here. And it's, it's Naomi's lament is, is uh, it's very, it's like specific. She's mad and she's bitter. And I think it's, I think it's interesting to note that she knows God is sovereign, but she suspects he isn't good. And I think it's also profound to notice that she talks a lot about God, but she isn't talking to God. She's just, that's where she's at. That's her spot. That's where Naomi is. She's raw. She's real. She's really uh, struggling with the goodness of God. And um, I just, I think it's so beautiful here to see even, even like, uh, if you would imagine God like a step back, like working in this story, how does God respond to Naomi in her bitterness? He responds by giving her Ruth who clings to her. He responds with grace and loving kindness. 
And to jump ahead, he responds with a redeemer and with hope for her family. God is not intimidated by Naomi's bitterness. And God, who is not like us, responds with just patience and mercy and grace to Naomi, even as she was so upset with God. I think it's so important for us to note that even in our, you know, our lament that maybe this is just I'm angry or I'm bitter. Um, and even in our, even in our, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't tell people, hey, you know, model your response to hard things after Naomi. This is not like, she's this isn't the model. This is just a person where she was at. Even in this, God was so kind and so patient with her. He wasn't intimidated by her pain. He wasn't like, well, she's bitter. I'm gonna go work in someone else's life. He's like, I'm gonna change her name back to Naomi from Mara. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make things so much, so, so much sweeter for her that she's able to hold a child and know that I'm good. That's God's response to Naomi. And so, you know, that's, that's Naomi's lament. And that may be some of, some of your lament. You may resonate with that. But it's also important to note we have other, um, other places to go, specifically in the Psalms, to learn how to lament. So I want us to look briefly at lament in the Bible. And, and it's important to note this truth. Lament, biblical lament, is bringing your grief to God. This is, this is important. Again, Naomi wasn't there, and that's okay. Um, but we see in the Psalms that lamenting is, is often, it's crying with faith. It's like, it's, uh, Tim Keller put it, it's praying our tears. It's like, we have these tears, um, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna like pray them. I'm gonna give them to, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give them to someone. I'm gonna give them to God. And we absolutely sometimes just, are going to cry on our own and we're going to cry with people. But the goal as Christians is that we would learn to bring these things to God. Um, that, 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 and it, I don't want the, these to be cliches. These are the most beautiful truths in the Bible that, that you, you have a, a counselor who's unlike any other counselor and a helper who's unlike any other human helper and a source of peace that surpasses the peace that anyone else can offer to you. Like you have Jesus and you have his spirit and you have a heavenly father who loves you. And dear brother and sister, I just, I don't want you to sell your own soul short and keep your grief from God. Uh, Augustine, who lived a long time ago and was really smart, said this to God. God, you have made us for yourself. And our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. That any other, any other place we would go, our hearts just are, are not going to be at peace. That, that there is this ultimate goal of finding rest and peace in God. Which is important to, to notice this from the Psalms, that God actually wants our lament. He's, he says, come to me. Remember Jesus, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In Psalm 56, look at this, this, this is amazing. God, you have kept count of my tossing, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? And this, this metaphor is amazing because a, a bottle is typically a clear, you know, like it's clear. You can see what's inside it. You can measure what's inside it, which, which, is, which is a way of saying God sees every single tear you have ever cried. 
and, and it's, it's measured. It doesn't escape. It doesn't evaporate. It doesn't go anywhere. Every tear you've ever cried has like been captured by God in his bottle. He notices. Every tear has weight. God says, bring them to me. Come to me. I, I will catch those tears. I'm not intimidated by your brokenness and your grief. And then God, God has given us help in our lament, in the Holy Spirit. Look at this truth in Romans chapter eight. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Um, sometimes in life, we don't even like know the right words to pray. And, and this promise is beautiful, saying that's okay. You don't need to know what to pray for as you ought. The spirit of God in you is just crying out for you on your behalf, interceding for you to God. Groaning's too deep for words. Sometimes that's lament. That's all we have is these groanings. And the Bible says the spirit is in you, helping you to do these things. Don't run from God. Bring these things. And even just if all you can do is groan to him, that's okay. And then God's also given us, he's given us more help in lament. He's given us the Psalms and the book, books like Lamentations. And, and it's so important that we, just to say this, we need God's word in these seasons. We need not just our own minds and our own wisdom. And, and we need help even for our emotions. And I think this, you know, maybe a... a a common false thought about the Bible is, this is just for my brain, right? Like just get this information in my head. But the laments show us how we are to deal with our emotions and with our hearts and with our souls. The laments give, in the Psalms, they give like words, language, expressions to our soul. And, and they're, they're even like they train our soul. Like, hey, Feel this way, think this way. No, don't go that way with your emotions. Go this way with them. Even Jesus on the cross lamented a psalm. He knew that is the proper way. That's a safe place for me to go and think and speak and feel. Uh, as I said, a third of the psalms at least are lament. We, we have personal laments, uh, that's, for example, Psalm 142. It's like, God, I'm crying out to you. You're my refuge. I need you. Um, there's corporate laments. In Psalm 44, it says, God will save us and will lead us and care for us. This is, this is important because as Americans, I think, you know, we kind of just like our space and our privacy. And, uh, but there's a, there's a place to mourn and lament as a, as a body. You know, we've suffered as a church and there, there's a fitting thing that together we would corporately, that's why so often our songs that we sing have like we and us language. We're together corporately lamenting to God. Uh, there's, there's laments of repentance. Um, as much of a bummer as it is, we know often our suffering is our own fault. We have uh, wandered into sin and we now find ourselves in this situation and like it, it is 
It's painful. And Psalm 51, one of the most probably popular psalms there is, was written as David sinned and committed adultery and murdered. And then he cried out to God. He lamented, Lord, have mercy on me. And I know you're going to forgive me. I know you are able to do that, to take my sin as far as the east is from the west. Make me clean, God. And then there's imprecatory psalms. So if, if some of you just are kind of angry, there's actually, you know, psalms for you to go and just be angry and pray angry thoughts. Like, God, bring justice. This is wrong. This is not okay. And um, much harsher language than that. And the psalms, what's so amazing about the imprecatory psalms is the Bible says, hey, we don't seek vengeance ourselves, but the imprecatory psalms teach us, but you can ask God to do it. That's literally what they're there for. And he may do it, he may not do it, but there is a place for our raw frustration to say, God, would you just take care of that person for me? And that's this act of faith. I'm trusting you with them, God. That's a proper place to take our frustration to God. And I want us to to notice this about the laments in the Psalms. This This is a surprising truth. This surprised me as I was preparing for the sermon. Uh, biblical lament asks the hard questions to God. Questions like, why? Why God? Look at, look at Psalm 88, verse 14. Oh Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Psalm 22, the one Jesus quotes on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? How long will you hide your face from me? And then it asks questions like, how? How could you do this, Lord? Or, or how long? Look at Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? And what's just fascinating about the Psalms is, like, it's, it's kind of like, well, I know God won't forget me forever, but it really feels like it right now. And the Psalms give our emotions permission to express themselves. God, it, it feels right now like you have forgotten me and you're hiding your face from me. And we're allowed to say that to God. We, we are given permission to pray the Psalms, to pray the scriptures. God is not intimidated with our pain and our questions and confusion. And, and often the first step in us making progress in our healing is just being honest with where we're at. Being honest with people, being honest with God. And Uh, I've learned this personally, when we ignore our emotions or our hurt or even our doubts or our bitterness towards God or people, when we just kind of shove them down, they don't really grow, they don't go away. They actually, it comes out in like moments you wish it wouldn't come out. And it comes out often as um, anger and, and I may be frustrated with this person, but all of a sudden I'm being like, whoa, really unfair with this person. That's because God is saying, don't shove that stuff down. Bring it to me. Be honest. Think about this. Satan loves the darkness. He says, hey, keep those things hidden. If people only knew those thoughts and those struggles and those doubts, if if God knew those things, like, no, don't, don't talk about those things. Keep them hidden. But the spirit does the opposite. It says it just brings things into the light. And we see people in the Bible bringing just really raw baggage to the light and saying, God, this is where I'm at. Naomi, God, this is where I'm at. David, God, this is where I'm at. And that's often the beginning 
of the process of healing in our lament. And then we, we always see this in biblical lament. The goal, the ending of lament is trust in God. The goal is that we could, we could trust him. And listen, that's, that, that may not be where you're at right now. That may not be where Naomi is at in our story right now. Um, we often lose or lack trust in God, especially in difficult moments. Um, but we see in the Psalms this Almost every psalm of lament has a very clear moment, a turn. Uh, often the word but, a very clear like turn, like this is true. And I want us to see it in a few different places. So Psalm 13, do we have this slide? No, okay. Uh, I send in too many slides too late in the morning. So thank you for doing as much as you did. Um, so Psalm 13, the one we began with, like how long, Lord, what do you, why have you forsaken me? Verse five says this, but... I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Psalm 31, verse 12, hear this. I have, just hear this before God. I have been forgotten like one who is dead. I have become like a broken vessel. Two verses later, but I trust you, O Lord. I say you are my God. And there are times when we even need to like, this is when it's helpful that we are mind and heart and soul and body because there are times when we have to like speak to our own hearts. We speak to our own soul saying, no, it's, it's time to trust God. Psalm 43, verse 5, I honestly personally go here all the time when I'm feeling emo. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. We even need to talk to ourselves. Be honest. Oh, why am I like this? Why am I here? Listen, hope in God. Hope in God. I will praise him. He is my God. And, uh, it's, you know, we don't know how long it took David and the other psalmist to get here. Um, again, it's not a formula. Again, we should be really patient and merciful with people who are in uh, the process of lamenting. But we do see the goal in Scripture that we could come, bring our pain and our questions and say, but I trust you, God. I trust you. You are my only hope, my only refuge. You are a rock that is higher than I am. Uh, it's funny, it's not funny, it's sad, but Job, Job is like the anti. He starts so strong, oh, I know God is good, this is horrible, but he gives and takes away. And then Job is just like 40 long chapters of just questions. And Job kind of like gets worse over time. And he starts saying, I trust you, God. And then listen to Job in chapter 30. I cry to you for help and you do not answer me. And then the next verse, you have turned cruel to me. And Job's just being honest. This is where he's at on his journey. He started strong in this, these questions and these people's thoughts are confusing him and he's kind of deteriorating. And yet we see God show up and radically um, ex like display his glory to Job. And, you know, we're uncomfortable a bit. This is, this is not always how, you know, let me just say this. There are some times when God is like, hey, 
You're a pot. I'm the, I'm the maker. Trust me. That's what he does with Job. And he says, Job, where were you? And he just goes on for two chapters. And he reminds Job this. I'm not going to answer your questions, but Job, I'm God. And then Job, that's what Job needed. And Job then ends, Job 42, I know that you can do all things. And I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. We see Job come to a clearer understanding of who God is through this. And and then I want us to end here. I want us to look at the lament of laments. I want us to see Jesus on the cross. Um, There were many moments in Jesus' life when he lamented and wept, but, but specifically, I want us to remember the moment on the cross. I'm gonna read it out of Mark 15, verse 34. And, and what Jesus is doing here, he's, he's doing what, what we're learning. He's quoting the Psalms. He's, his, his heart and his mind, he's stored up God's word in his heart. And he knows these are the things that are gonna come out of me when I'm under pressure. And it says this in Mark 15. We have it. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is lamenting here on the cross. And um, in this moment, you know, we, we know a couple of things. We, we know that Jesus was never unloved by God. And we know that the, 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 the doctrine of the Trinity was never broken. Jesus never ceased to be God. But we also know that in a real sense, Jesus became sin in that moment. 2 Corinthians 5, he became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. And, and in this moment, he, he drank the cup of the wrath of God, the justice of God. What Jesus did in this moment was face hell, the ultimate expression of being forsaken by God. So in, in a sense, he was forsaken in a moment. And then we know he died and then he rose again and he's seated in heaven. And what that means for you is, is that he took your place. He was your substitute. As we see in the Old Testament, identifying with these sacrifices, Jesus was that, said that for us so that you, son and daughter of God, would never be abandoned or forsaken by God. Jesus' lament is, is like the rock in our lament because we know he won't forsake us. He became sin so we could become the righteousness of God. He was forsaken so that we never would be forsaken, so that we could say in Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. That the words Jesus ends Matthew with, that I am with you always is true. That if you are a son and daughter of God, you will not be forsaken. This radical act of sacrifice and love sustains us. It's this rock in our own laments. And we know what Jesus purchased at this moment was the truth that one day God will end all laments. Look, look at this verse in Revelation 21. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And just notice how personal that is. This is not, 
yeah, you know, thanks, Jesus. He bought that it's going to be nice vaguely one day. Like, it says he will wipe away. That's so personal. That's so intimate. Every tear from their eyes. Like, you are going to stand before Jesus, and he's going to have nail-scarred hands that are going to reach up to you and wipe away your tears, and they will never cry again. Like, that day is coming for the children, the sons and daughters of God. And, and I want us to end with this truth. Even so, we lament. Until that day, we continue to just bring our grief to, and our pain to Jesus, and we trust him. We bring our frustrations, and we trust him. And we know that that hope is waiting, but right now, Right now, we will suffer. And I, I, this is, we see this, we see this is like so counterintuitive. You wouldn't expect this. But in Acts chapter 8, remember Stephen, the first Christian martyr of the early church. Remember, he was being stoned and he could see Jesus in heaven standing there. And, and he was like, I see Jesus and I know I'm going to Jesus. And then he dies. And then look what it says right after that. I don't, we don't have the verse, maybe. Oh, we do. Okay. Devout men buried Stephen, and what did they do? They made great lamentation over him. This is amazing. They know where he is. They know he's with Jesus. We often say things like, you know, we should throw a party. Stephen's with Jesus. But what they did was they still lamented over him. It was still a tragedy. It was still wrong. It was still death. And so even so, that they knew where he was, and yet the appropriate response was to make a great lamentation over him. And, and that is true for us, church, that even though we know the hope that is coming, even though we know that day is coming, he's going to wipe every tear away, we, as followers of Jesus, bring our own pain to him, and then we lament with others. We weep with others as they are in that spot. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for us and then uh, say a few more things about how I want just us to think about our time of worship together. So Jesus, thank you for the promise that you're going to wipe away our tears and that lament will be over. But I thank you that even now, Lord, you are with us. And even now, you, you call your church to bring our sorrows and our questions and our bitterness to you, to process them with you, to speak them. And ultimately, Lord, to be able to say we trust you and so, God, I ask that right now um, you, would, you would let this not just be a sermon and not just for our heads or our hearts, but now that we, we would obey your word, that we would lament where we need to lament, that we would, we would bring these things that we've kind of maybe stuffed down for so long to you, God, as this act of worship and trust. And, and would we also obey you in, in the fact that we would weep with those who weep? Would we be a church, Lord, that, that is willing to, um, to grieve with one another and to be honest and to be open about where we're at and where we're not at and where we want to be but where we're not? So Holy Spirit, please, I just ask that you would, you would just hover over your people right now and you would minister deeply to us um, I want to just speak, if, if you are here and you don't even like know Jesus yet, 
the Bible says that God is near to the brokenhearted, that even now he's near to you. He's like, the Bible says he's knocking on your heart, like, hey, I'm here. And I just want to invite you even to just, even just to cry out to him, Jesus, if you're real, like, here's where I'm at. Jesus, if you're real, here are my questions. Um, even if you want to go a step further to, to maybe ask for prayer from someone next to you or um, we have a prayer team, I invite you even to come do that with them. Um, I also want to speak to those who are struggling with doubt and bitterness. Like, God, I'm really struggling with you and your character and how could you do this? Um, I just want to invite you to bring those things to him, uh, to give those things to him, to be honest with him, just to tell him. Tell them where you're at. Uh, these carpets are not a place for people like who have it together. Um, but this is like this, these carpets are for a posture of desperation. Like, God, I need you. God, I'm struggling right now. Let your first step of faith simply just be just bringing that to God. Um, for those of you who have yet to lament, who have experienced, you know, grief and pain, but haven't really dealt with it yet, um, I just want to, I just, I want, I want you to obey the Bible and, and bring it to God, to lament, to weep, to give it to him. Uh, he, he will be a better caretaker of those things than you will be in your own heart. You can trust him. You can let that wall down and you can even let the tears flow. The church should be a place where we weep and weep to the Lord and weep with others. And then if you're okay, it's just you're in a season of like, man, God's been really good to me. Um, maybe ask the Lord if he would have you lament with someone else, that you would weep with someone else who is weeping. Um, that, that, you know, maybe that the Lord would grow you as someone who's able to, to lament with others and give you wisdom. What does this person need? Do they need to hear some truth? Do they need just simply for me to be quiet and lament with them. God, grow me as that person. Even this morning, ask the Lord, like, is there someone you want me to, to weep with and pray with? Um, and, and then together, let us, let us view this time of even lament as worship. Like, we're just bringing our stuff and our questions to God. We're laying him, we're laying them at his feet. We're giving our tears to him. And then let us say with David, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. If, if you struggle with the thought, he hasn't dealt bountifully with me. Remember the cross. Remember what he has done for you. He has dealt bountifully with you. You have a great eternal salvation. And let's sing to him as an act of trust and lament.